Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We had lots of suggestions written in by Cortexans for suggestions to your theme name. Although I'm not really sure why. I feel like it was perfect already. The Year of Small Improvements. I don't know why we would need a suggestion. But I would like to start with the most common, also most nerdy suggestion that we got from listeners, which was the Year of Snow Leopard. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. S-tier name suggestion. <laughs> uh, Year of Snow Leopard. I really like that. So I feel like Year of Small Improvements bracket Snow Leopard <laughs> is fine. And for people that are unaware, which should be, I expect, the majority of listeners, Mac OS X Snow Leopard, mm. which was a version of Mac OS in 2009 following Mac OS X Leopard, because it used to yeah. be named after cats. Yeah. The idea of Snow Leopard was this was the no new features release. It was a quality of life improvement. That's yeah. what it was. However, it wasn't, though. And like that was the thing about Snow Leopard. It's like the dark secret of Snow Leopard. <laughs> Is Snow Leopard actually included huge foundational changes to Mac OS X, but they just mm. didn't really promote them to customers. I think the thing about Snow Leopard, which has got to be the most famous, like I think if you ask most people to name one, that they're going to name Snow Leopard, but it's partly because I do think there's this thing where they did say no new features, but it was really more like what did the nerds really want and like create in their mind. The the idea of Snow Leopard is greater than what Snow Leopard actually was. The legend. Yes, the The legend legend is... Snow Leopard. There were no like customer features yeah but it included a thing called grand central dispatch which i'm not going to bother getting into today yeah but was not a small addition to the absolutely massively important yeah as the name grand central dispatch might imply just such a good name it was really no new customer facing features is really what it was but everyone likes to remember it as oh that's the year where they didn't do anything and they just fixed stuff if you're curious at least to understand Grand Central Dispatch was basically the underlying technology that would allow for multiple processor cores and for tasks to be handed between them. It's a variable simplified version of that. But like, if you know anything about the way that computing is done today, you understand how fundamentally important that is. And yeah. that was what Snow Leopard included. So like, there is a funny thing of like, you can only really call this the year of Snow Leopard if I think of like, a, you know how to say about a duck swimming of like, above the water it's elegant, but underneath yeah, is everything's yeah. happening, you know? That's kind of what it would have to be, which I don't... I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. This does not feel like a Snow Leopard year for you. So, Mike, I've got what it should be in the brackets, right? All right. It's year of small improvements, brackets... The Legend of Snow Leopard. Uh, yes. That's the name. <laughs> Forget everything you know about themes, all right? This is how they are now. Forget the years of work we've established. If it hasn't got an absolutely epic subtitle, what is the point? Yeah. Does that resonate with you, dear listener? Uh, more serious recommendations is the year of optimizing, the year of refresh, the year of user experience. I kind of like that. But I actually think the year of small improvements really did the job. The year of quality of life, that was not good, right? Like that one is just like clunky. Year of quality of life was the first thing that had entered my brain. And then I think you can kind of hear it in that episode. I, I try to explain it as like, it's like a year of small improvements. It's like, no, dude, that's obviously yeah. the better name. Like you should just go with that. 
at this point, I'm completely fine with Year of Small Improvements, and I really, I really love it as brackets The Legend of Snow Leopard. Like, yeah. I could see the movie poster in my head for this year's theme. Absolutely love it. And so, here's the thing that I, I want to try to establish as not a regular, but maybe like a quasi-regular thing for this year, which is one of the problems I had last year was I kept feeling like, oh man, year of work, like it's this huge thing. And I kept building up a monumental pile of notes of like, oh, these are all the things that I want to talk about for the end of the year, for year of work. It's such a big deal that it was just like way too much. And so frequently you and I do have this thing where we sort of don't want to talk about the theme in like the second half of the year because then they can naturally lead into discussions about like what were the problems or like what's the next thing so i want to try to just occasionally have like a small improvement report on the show as just like hey as i'm going along here's an example of like a little small improvement that i made and the first one i want to start out with is just to me iconic this to me is like the perfect example of the kind of thing that i am aiming for and i know it's always one of Mike's favorite things. It changed to my recording setup. One, why would you do it? And two, why'd you tell me? You know, like, I don't want to know. I'm happier to not know. Okay, but so look, here is perfect example of the kind of thing that I want to keep my mind open to over the course of the year, right? Look out for what are small annoyances that your brain has just been kind of pushing to the side because it feels like it's below some sort of threshold to even bother dealing with. And the one that I've changed, but I'm so happy with, has to do with just the wire that runs from my headphone into the computer. In just the most minor of annoyances, the wire is running as one might expect. It just goes from my headphone across my desk and then back to the laptop, which was on the other side of the desk. I thought, you know what? I hate this. I hate this so much. Like, I'll hit it with my hand sometimes, or it's just like mildly in the way, or it's like slightly constricts my motion because you're just aware, like, oh, I don't want to pull this wire. So I just decided to be like, how am I going to solve this? And so all I've done is I rearranged my desk. Basically, I'm running the wire now behind my desk, under the desk, and I bought a little magnetic attachment. So that what I have now is that like right underneath my keyboard in the center of my desk is where the wire ends with a little magnetic attachment. So I can pull it out, plug it into my headphones when we're recording the show, and then I can just put it back and it magnetically connects back under my desk. And now the wire runs in between my hands up to my headphones and is never in the way when I'm recording. And it's like such a small thing, but it's like, ah, Love it. This is better. This has less friction. This is just more pleasant. Most wire connectors I've never really liked, but I thought, you know, what would be a nice version of this? There must be little magnetic ones that you can do. It's like, oh, perfect. This is great. So that's the kind of thing where I'm like, ah, this is what I'm looking for. Find these little annoyances. Make these small improvements in your life. Think about all the things that you frequently interact with and see how you can make them better. I would say as uh, far as a change to your recording setup can go, you're just changing the way your headphones connect. That doesn't bother me at all. That's a you problem, you know? Like that only affects you and it doesn't affect me. I mean, that was like pulling on a small thread and 
it ended with me taking everything out of my office and completely redoing my entire office setup as well to try to make it better so that's how it started recording on different computers and completely different setups and everything is different as well but that's how it began small improvement i feel like if this was a different show maybe if this was a show (laughs) that you didn't have a hand in the editing of this year of small improvements segment would be introed with the sound of a snow leopard roaring you know that's what i would do (laughs) but i don't think you would allow that in the the essence of a little theme update, I have a little theme update for you. Yeah. Last time on the show, so for more text subscribers, which is a longer ad-free version of the show, we discussed the yearly theme for Cortex brand this year, which is going to be the mm. year of basics. So we kind of decided it on that segment. And so far this year, I've done a pretty good job of aligning my year, the year of people, and the Cortex brand theme, the year of basics, on a project of building the groundwork and putting the pieces in place to create an email newsletter system for Cortex Brand. It's like an email newsletter plus like Mm -hmm. email marketing program, I guess, would be the two things together. And so far, it has been like a four-person team effort to find a system that works for us and then also start building the templates for email design, working on copy and like the email flows for people. So... It's been a pretty big project so far, but the speed at which it has occurred is because of all of the people involved in it. Like if it was me or just like one person doing it on their own, it wouldn't Mm. look as good or be as effective or would have got like the work wouldn't have started so quickly. So I'm hoping before the end of January, we'll have started sending stuff. So yeah, I'm pretty excited Mm. about it. And it's been a nice thing to see these two themes coming together already that my kind of focus on working with people has enabled for us to start laying the groundwork for something which is kind of so basic for a company like ours, but something we just have not put any focus on until now. Yeah, that's why I I was in that segment, I was a bit dubious at first about year basics as the theme, but you completely sold me on it. And yes, the get our house in order with regards to the email list really is the most basic of basic starting point for a business that sells stuff on the internet. Like you said, people were horrified when we would discuss this and be like, so how's your email list? Like email list. We don't have one. Like what are you doing? Tom and Dan, because we do a show together about like producty stuff and like our businesses. And they were mentioning their email list again. And I think Tom said, it is the backbone of a business like ours. And I'm sitting there like, oh, God. Oh, really? Oh, is it? <laughs> but at least we started, and they're very, very proud. As Confucius said, the best time to plant an email list is a thousand years ago, and the second best time is now. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Fitbod. When you want to change your fitness level, it's hard to know where to get started, which is why I'm pleased to let you know that FitBod is an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that is just for you. Everyone's fitness path is different. It's unique. And that is why FitBod uses data to make sure they customize everything to suit you perfectly, adapting as you improve so every workout will remain challenging, pushing you to make the progress that you want. Superior results are achieved when a workout program is tailored to your unique body, experience, environment, and goals. All of this information is stored in your FitBod Gym profile. 
FitBod tracks your muscle recovery so you're able to avoid burnout while keeping up your momentum. And it builds your best possible workout by combining AI with exercise science. They've analyzed billions of data points that have been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers. And you can be sure you're learning new movements the right way thanks to more than 1,000 demonstration videos. I love the videos. It really helps me. Like when I'm using FitBod and it's like, hey, you've got something new, which is frequent because they like to keep things mixed up and fresh. I'm able to watch videos on how each exercise is performed along with reading the instructions, and I feel 100% confident that I'm going to be doing it the right way. Muscles improve when working in concert with the entire musculoskeletal system, so overworking some muscles while underworking others, you can negatively impact results this way. This is why FitBod tracks your muscle fatigue and recovery to design a well-balanced workout routine. You're never going to get bored because they're mixing things up with new exercises, rep schemes, supersets, and circuits, whilst also keeping your body sharp. The FitBod app is super easy to use, and it looks great. You can stay informed with FitBod's progress tracking charts, their weekly reports, and sharing cards, which lets you keep track of your achievements and personal bests, and to share them easily with friends and family. It also integrates with your Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatch, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year, but you can get an awesome 25% off your membership when you sign up today at fitbod.me slash cortex. That is a huge discount on the annual plan. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash cortex. Once again, that is fitbod.me slash cortex for 25% of your membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, Mike, I cannot wait any longer. Okay. I need to know, how was school today? Well, school ended a little while ago. Okay. Uh, it ended before Christmas, but school was very good. Today, I got my certificate email to me, which was a funny, it was very funny to get my, hey, you completed your course certificate the day that we were going to talk about it. Oh, it's graduation day, basically. Yeah, I graduated today, considering the course was completed like four weeks ago. It is kind of funny that they chose today, but they did choose today. So yeah, I graduated from my short course on product design. I don't even know. What was the basic structure Mm. of what it was that you were doing? It was a week-long course, right? Like full days, half days? Five days, 10 to 4. Five days, 10 to 4. Single instructor? Single instructor, a group of five students. Oh, okay. Very good student-to-teacher ratio. Yeah, that was actually really helpful. It was, yeah, in person at uh, University of the Arts London College. Mm -hmm. They have, like, a variety of short courses that they do. And my experience of feeling like I was going back to school started immediately. So you arrive at the college, and you go to, like, the enrollment desk, and they're like, all right, go into the main hall, and there are pieces of paper on the wall Mm-hmm. with all of the names of the short courses, you need to line up at the name of your course. <laughs> so you go into this big hall and there's all these people just like standing around in loosely formed lines. Right, right. And like I get into a line and I'm like, I don't know if I'm in the right line. Because like I can see my course on the wall, but there's like 20 people in front of me and they all look like they're in different lines. Ah, the quintessential first day of school experience. Yep. I feel a little lost. Yes. And I'm also being 
physically sorted with a large number of people as I'm being processed by the education system. And immediately for me, taken back to my school experiences, I'm too nervous to ask. Yeah, you don't want to ask. You don't want to embarrass yourself because then all the cool kids will laugh at you. Yeah. Yep. So I would just be weird to be sorted. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, I was in the right line and we were taken to the class. And so the structure was, you know, we had like five days. It's not like a ton of time. And essentially it was, we're going to kind of dip our toes into what a bigger course around product design could look like. Mm -hmm. Right, that's kind of what you're doing here. And of the people that were there, there was me. There were two people that worked for like businesses who were sending their employees on these. Right, so it's like employee training. Training or like expanded learning kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one was, it was like considered training for this person. The other, it was like, it seemed like their company allowed people to just pick something. It's very Mm. tech company-y. You, know? you can do whatever you want with your 20% time. Yeah, it's totally up to you. And we'll pay for it. We just want to make you more rounded. <laughs> and then the other two people were in between degrees. So they'd been studying and they wanted to do something now in design. And so they were like doing taster sessions, basically, of different courses. Mm. And it felt like really that's what this is for. Like a survey experience. Yeah, that like somebody can go around, pay a relatively small amount of money compared to what a course would be, Mm -hmm. and get an idea as to whether they might want to enroll in like a full three-year course at Mm. the university. Okay. Our instructor, what he does now is instructing, but he had a history in furniture design. And day one was mostly like Let's talk about what design is. Mm-hmm. So like different forms of industrial design and product design, different thinking. And also the instructor was kind of sharing some of his influences and like the people that he draws interest from as like a way to kind of like set it up. And on that day, actually, we started doing like technical drawing. Did you have a triangle in your hand? And no. a grid piece of paper in front of you? The, his thing was not to try and be too precise with it. You know, like, get a grid paper, draw between these two points, and try and draw something. We're drawing a chair that day just for practice sake. Like, mm-hmm. in that kind of, like, isometric style, right? Like, how can right, you right, imagine okay. this? And that was, like, that first day was to try and get us used to the idea of imagining an object in 3D, Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can imagine what a chair looks like, but how would that chair look like from the top? How would it look like from the bottom? And we were kind of like playing around with that because it would help inform us for the next day's work. So, yeah, then we went on to like coming up with the concept of a product, imagining what it could look like, trying to draw it out in a technical style. Then we were doing storyboarding, which was in essence like, show how this product could be used. Like, what is the story of this item? Why does it exist? We're kind of like playing around with that and drawing some of these out. And then we did a lot of these kinds of things whilst also having mini lectures around like the types of ways that products are made, how something can be made would inform your design of it. And then the last two days was kind of bringing everything together to create a light. It was like create a product that emits light in some way. You Mm -hmm. you can make a lamp or or whatever. And you had to come up with an idea, come up with its reason for existing and be able to explain that, do some technical drawing, and then make a model. And we made a model out of card. Mm -hmm. Mine was a, a little light, a little working light that looked like an egg timer. And you would turn the timer 
and it would start glowing red at the top to try and indicate to people that you're working. But of course, gray is also a time tracker because right, that's right. the only there, way there I can imagine go. my life. <laughs> the lens through which you view all products, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it tracks your time for you. And so that, that was just like a little thing and we built it and I wanted to build something that had like in my mind some kind of element of tactility and like a little egg timer, like the form of an egg timer was, was kind of cute. So mm-hmm. that was like overall what it was focused on. But the main things that I took away from it was around kind of space and distraction when trying to imagine designing products. What do you mean? So I had no uh, cell coverage in the classroom. My phone couldn't connect to 5G. And so on day one, I kind of was like, okay, so I can't connect. And then on day two, I know that people were on the Wi-Fi, but I was like, I'm not going to connect to the Wi-Fi. And so I could only be online at lunch and then at the end of the day, which meant that, you know, I would surface for air two times a day and my phone would be like blowing up. Mm -hmm. But I really valued this in allowing me to have like space to think and like distraction taken away so I could really get involved in what I was doing mm-hmm. because like a lot of the time the things that we were doing had a lot of like concept work involved in it we had to come up with concepts and like sketch them out and like how would this work how would this not work and you're kind of it's a lot of iteration and being able to be distraction free in that work was very beneficial, I think. And so I think it has informed for me that I need to try and replicate this where possible, mm-hmm. which is complicated. And I'm not sure I know what the answer to that is right now, but it's something I'm working on. The, f- the first thing that I've taken away is I am trying now to focus on Thursdays are free for Cortex. So we record on Thursdays. Right. Which is one help. So like typically in the past, I've tried to keep Thursdays more free in case we need to move our recording date. So I don't want to like smash up too much stuff into trying to record the show. Mm -mm. But now what I'm going to try and do is on the Thursdays we're not recording to try and leave those for like bigger Cortex brand projects. Right, okay. Like if I'm noodling on an idea for something, you know, if I find time during the week, I can like poke at it if I have the time. But otherwise, I would know that I would be able to try and spend a bunch of time on it the next Thursday, whatever it would be. That's like one part of it. And then I'm going to try and see if this works and maybe adapt it a little further in the idea of giving myself time to experiment and to play around and take in information, take in inspiration, like that kind of stuff, and, and give myself more space in my work to do that. But also to have dedicated physical space to do this work. So I'm looking at making a bunch of changes to Mega Studio. One of them will be I'm going to get like a table that that's just where all the design stuff goes. Oh, right. Yeah, because you don't really have a clear 
table right now. I'm just I'm trying no. to think about the office. You've got what I think of as like your keyboard table, even though I know that's not exactly right, but it feels like uh, you've got that one table that's always has keyboard stuff on it, and yep. you have your recording set up. Yeah. But neither of those have like a big. There's not a big space. space. There's not an empty space. Yeah. Like the table that you're thinking of as my keyboard table, it is a very large desk that's kind of split in half, and one half is my PC, which has my streaming stuff, and then also my keyboard hobby projects. The other yeah. half is where I actually sit all day when I'm not recording. Mm. But they, of course, there is always a fancy keyboard on it, so maybe it can all blend in uh, to one. But that's my main desk, and it is at the moment where I would try and push stuff away and have space, but that's not really what I want. And mm-hmm. so this would be a desk which would be like, you know, covered in the relevant things that mm-hmm. I would need. I'm like prototyping and like workshopping a different paper layout for the Sidekick notepad, like to do another version of it. Like, so it's not just the dot grid, it's, it's does some other stuff. And when I've done things like this before, I've kind of just like sketched them out a little bit. But this time I was like cutting out pieces of paper and moving them around and trying to come up with a layout that way. And that felt a little bit more tactile in a way that I enjoyed. And that was something I took away from this course was Uh, the like kind of cutting stuff out, moving it around, like having a kind of tactility in it felt more exciting and engaging for me than trying to just draw boxes on a piece of paper. I feel like I'm having the realization of the images that you sent me of the design changes that you were thinking about. It was made out of these little modular pieces. And uh, I'm just realizing that's not something that I've seen you do before. But I also think it just made so much sense. Not that I really thought about it, but if I had to think about it, I would have said like, oh, this must be Mike just in the early stages. And then the stuff that he's shown me before is the later stages where he's just drawing it out on paper. But no, that that does intuitively make way more sense as a good early stage thing is let me cut out physically the pieces that I'm, I might want to assemble something out of because moving things around tangibly, especially for the Cortex products, really matters. It's It's interesting. It was just something that I didn't really know that I liked until I was doing some of the prototyping stuff in the last couple of days where cutting things out of card and like moving them around and trying out different layouts and stuff it was just like really interesting to me. So I brought that in too. So I can imagine having this like kind of the way I think about it is like time and space mm. are the things that I need. And so trying to create and find that I think will be better overall for my aspirations and things that I want to do in product design. Yeah, we may talk about this later, but I think as Cortex brand becomes a bigger and bigger thing, I hadn't really thought about it before, but yeah, it does make sense that you would really need a separate physical design space so that it's not like, oh, I'm just incidentally doing this design work on this table yeah. full of keyboards and other things. It's like, no, no, this is like a dedicated space. It feels like I'm not yeah. respecting the work. I'm just trying to always just squeeze it in. Squeeze it in. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Both in in my day and in the physical space, mm. it feels like I'm not valuing it. And so I want to be able to give it a little bit more room to breathe in. I mean, also, it seems half unintentional and half intentional with the uh, like no cell phone service and then deciding not to join the Wi-Fi. I was very aware of it and I was kind of thinking of it in terms of your year of people because we had this conversation in the last episode about how like you train people how to respond to you based on how quickly you get back to them. Mm. And I think 
there was some part of me which kind of forgot that you were in school, but I was very aware. Like I would send you a message and it's like, wait, it's been two minutes. Mike hasn't gotten back to me. Like, <laughs> this is unacceptable. <laughs> it's like, I knew you were at school, but I think there was some part of my brain which defaulted to thinking like, oh, Mike's running his year of people on me, right? Like he's trying to train me that I don't always get an immediate response. <laughs> but actually, no, you were just Hang busy on a minute. design work. I count in this too? <laughs> I was doing the thing everybody does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike's not going to get back to other people as fast but surely he still means me is going to get instant replies to me i don't think that it would be truly realistic to be like all right turning off the wi-fi like that doesn't make sense for me i don't think i don't think that would ultimately make me happy on a longer period but the biggest question that i am left with having done this experience is do i want more because what i'll say is overall i loved doing this really okay yes i loved being immersed in an environment where everyone is just talking about design like i loved so much just being immersed in this world where all anybody is talking about is like what is the intention of the object all that matters right now is you're trying to understand what the thing that you want to make would say to the user. Like, does it have a point? Does it have a reason for existing? These kinds of questions, I just loved being in an environment where everyone was totally on board with asking that and nobody was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, in that environment, they're like the most important thing. But realistically, they don't seem to be that way on a grand stage. But I am of the opinion that these things are really important, but you're not always within company who agrees with you, right? Okay, yeah. This is kind of the dynamic of someone from outside of this sphere would say something like, oh, you guys are overthinking this. Yeah. And the correct thing here is like, oh, no, but the designer should think about this quite a lot, actually. And this conversation will seem like overthinking to an outsider almost uh, perversely the more successful the design is the design should seem really intuitive for whatever it is or it should be like obvious oh this Mm -hmm. thing just works like what i was thinking is in school i think school at its best provides a kind of structured camaraderie and maybe that's what this was, is like it's selected for people who really care about this thing on this course. And so then when you are with them, you can feel like, ah, we all have the same kind of purpose, which is in designing and critiquing design of objects in a way that we don't have to worry about if we were having this discussion at a random dinner party, like how entertained are the other people or do other people think this is boring kind of thing. It's funny that you said, I never really thought of it that way, but like I have like multiple shows that I do, which are, that is it, right? Like the idea of you're with people and you just want to talk about objects and like how mm-hmm. much you care about them and what they do or not mm-hmm. do. Like I love that kind of thing, but being in that environment for that week, like I left it and I just wanted more. Mm. And so, like, when I left it, I'm like, all right, I think I want to go to university. Like, that's how I left the course of, like, I want to do a course. Like, I want to go and do a three-year course on product design for the sake of learning. 
Like I don't right, care right. about a degree. Like I care about learning. <laughs> I want to learn more about this. I want to be in this environment, learning from other people, having the experience of taking in a body of work and mm-hmm. broadening my thinking, what I feel like I could achieve, what I could be capable of. But the problem is the amount of change that would need to occur in my life to do this would be massive. So if I really genuinely want to do this, I have to be way more sure of it than I am currently. Mm -hmm. And so the easiest way to achieve it is to do more short courses. And that's something that like, I want to do this year. I just need to find courses that I'm interested in. University of the Arts have more, but some of them are on Zoom, and I don't want that. No, no, it's a disaster. Because like, that's just not don't giving do me a, what yeah, I want. Because do the Zoom, Zoom courses are like way longer, and it's like an hour a week or something, and you do it for like 12 weeks. It's like, that's Ugh, not what I'm no, looking that's for. that's the worst. Because no. that feels like you do that in the sense of getting the like thing at the end of it, like I've completed this course and that's not what I care about. What I want is what I was talking about, being in an environment which is like focused around that one thing. That's what people care about for the week that they're there is what is their lamp going to look like at the end of this week? You know, like that's kind of what I care about. But like, I just don't know if I am ready to commit to that. And so, what I have my eyes out for right now is what are the other ways in my life that I can get this experience, this expertise from people? I don't have an answer for this. All I know is I have a desire for m- more learning. Yeah, the problem there is like how contingent is this on people? And, and given that this is year of people, I'm imagining quite high. and. Yep. That's also why I was saying like school at its best provides this kind of camaraderie that can be difficult to replicate. The the thing that I was just wondering is I was wondering if this school or other schools in the UK do something like what I had in university, which were summer sessions and intersessions, which are just like compressed classes where they take a whole semester's worth of thing and they squeeze it down to three weeks instead. And it's not like a survey class. It really would be. This is the actual class. We're just doing a kind of pseudo term in between the regular terms for weirdos, for example, who are trying to do two degrees simultaneously. Well, that that is like so when the short course that I was on, the school was closed. Like they put them on. Yeah, when exactly. The school is otherwise closed. So, like for mm. me, it was during the Christmas break, right? Yeah. But yeah. I've yet to find in my admittedly somewhat limited searching because i've just been looking at like london schools right now Mm -hmm. anything more than what i've done yeah i would take a look around and see if you can find something like you might need to find a place that has something that's more like a campus but Mm. i would just be surprised if you couldn't find these like summer session or intercession kind of things and my experience was always like those are the the maximum like bang per hour by far of any kind of thing that you're going to do even just for the fact that like what you were doing where you're going in every day for five hours the amount of fat that that trims from just the time of like oh we're booting up what did we do last week what are we going to do like all of that kind of nonsense is just naturally removed when you're there every day for a big block of time so like 
going to sort of regular design school, I think, is not really practical in your foreseeable life in uh -uh. the near future. But I could see that you could arrange something to be able to take like three weeks to do a compressed course. Like that might be possible as a next step if you can find the right thing. Oh, I, I believe that would be possible. Like it would be a busier time. Like during that week, yeah. I didn't record any shows, right? But if I'm doing a three-week course, I'm going to have to lose some stuff. I'm not going to be able to do nothing, I think. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I would have to work a reduced schedule. I've just yet to find another course that I think would be interesting for me. On a broad scale, what do you feel like you want to get out of these courses or, or what do you think that they do for you that makes them worth the investment of time? I think that, and I know I felt this way from this one and I would hope I would continue to feel that way. It makes things that seem impossible feel more possible. Like what do you feel that you can do now that you couldn't do before the course? It's like technique. Okay. Helping me kind of open up my brain a little bit i know from one week i know i have not gained enough skill in which i feel like i could make something out of wood say right or design something out of metal mm -hmm. but it started to show me how i could build the skill needed right so like i feel like it took down a wall to make something that felt completely like insurmountable more surmountable like i believe that i could learn the skills to be able to take something from my brain and be able to better explain it to someone which is kind of what the whole point of this was for me right just to mm. better give me the confidence to be able to sit in a room with people and explain what i'm looking for and i feel like i got that out of this and i feel like it's shown me that if i was to take more of this like if i was to do longer or more of this kind of stuff it would further unlock or remove barriers that i'm putting up in my mind of stopping me from being able to do what i'm looking to achieve right like it, it takes down some barriers and it makes me feel like these things are more in reach not to discourage you in the slightest but like like you said right there is the thing like it's a barrier in your own mind maybe because you didn't go to paper design school to design the first notebooks no is it the fact that oh you don't know how to design anything in wood or communicate with wood manufacturers because we don't have a wood-based product that is in the forefront of our mind of like oh that's a thing that we need to make i understand where you're coming from i think that there is some truth to what you're saying but i, I do feel that there is like a level of knowledge expertise inspiration and mm. genuinely technical skills that would mm -hmm. be needed to go further that I can more easily pick up if I was taught them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like at a certain point, to be able to express what I'm looking for, I need to have a little bit of 3D modeling experience. Like it would go a long way to helping me be able mm. to prototype something, to be able to model it in 3D. At some point, I believe that that is going to be important, but I don't know what for. Okay. But there is genuinely just like a confidence building that comes from stuff like this, which I think for me would be very important. Hmm. Because I know I left it feeling real good. Like, I left this course feeling like, you know what? I can't do this. <laughs> and it's like, that is maybe something I've not truly felt until then. Like, mm -hmm. being in that environment and 
talking to people about the stuff that we make and working on new ideas and having those ideas praised by peers. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, I feel like I have something, like I can build this, I can grow from here. Like, Mm -hmm. it was very valuable. And I feel like that kind of environment is important as well as learning the things that I might want to learn from these experiences. So, I have one final question though. Okay. Did they know who you are? Did they know who's in this class? Did they know that it's the Mike Hurley? Nobody gave the impression that they had heard of me. Okay. But just naturally throughout the course of the week, uh-huh. the mood in the room changed. Okay. <laughs> there is an element of like, what do you do? Yeah, well, of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> I was not going to bring it up, right? Of co- yeah, of course, of course. But I was just answering questions honestly. Like, mm-hmm. when people say, like, why are you here? It's like, well, I started a business making paper products, and mm-hmm. I want to get more expertise and more knowledge to help me further make more stuff and feel mm-hmm. more confident. Then that would later turn into, like, well, what are you making? I'd be like, well, I'm using one of them right now. Like I had a sidekick notebook as well, taking my notes on. You know, people were talking about that. They were interested in it. And then, you know, you'd be like working away. And, you know, I'd said that I was podcasting and people would ask me like, what are your podcasts about? And mm. like I'd explain that. And then the next day as we go on, like someone would say to me, like, how many listeners do you have? Or like, how many of those notepads have you sold? Like, and so like, I was not, offering this information this is why i was i was wanting to know because the problem is if you open this door the tiniest amount if you made the decision of i'm not willing to go in here and be extremely obfuscatious about what it is that i actually do that door is going to fly open the moment the first questions start getting asked that's what i was curious about but it was like you know there was somebody who worked for an airline Mm -hmm. and they worked in design at this airline like physical design inside of the planes I would not stop asking them questions. Mm. I just thought this person's job was fascinating. Mm. And so like I was asking him questions constantly throughout the week because he was a super nice guy and he was very forthcoming and like seemed really like passionate about his work and I just found that super interesting. So I think that there was an element of that from a couple of people in the class. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things where it was just <laughs> who is this person? Then things start to be revealed that it's like Oh, I actually we've sold lots of these, and like mm-hmm. people really liked them, and like they, the questions just kept going. And it, but it was really interesting. Like people had like really cool questions for me and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it was one of those things that from Monday to Friday, different vibes. The vibes were different. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out from the crowd of a beautiful website, engage directly with your audience, and sell your products, services, and even the content that you create. Squarespace has got everything you need all in one place. With Squarespace, you can take advantage of a professionally designed website template to help you get started with your new website. They have designs that are tailored for every category and use case. You can very easily customize the look of these, update the content, and add features to fit the unique needs of your website, your business, what you're looking to make. But you can make Squarespace's templates do whatever you want. So your idea, brand, or business will stand out on every device. It is incredibly customizable, especially with their new reimagined drag-and-drop technology called Fluid Engine, which is built for desktop or mobile, so you can build and customize your website wherever you want. And if 
what you want your website to have as an online store. It's super easy with Squarespace. They have all of the tools that you need to start selling online, whether you're selling physical or digital goods. If you have a website of your own, you want to know how people are finding it. You want to know how many visitors you've got. You want to be able to keep track of that. Again, especially if you're selling something, like how do you know what products are successful? Well, all of this is also built in with Squarespace with their analytics system. This will let you understand where your site visitors are coming from, where your sales are coming from, and lets you analyze which channels are most effective for you. This will allow you to improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. I have been a fan of Squarespace, a user of Squarespace for over a decade now. When I have something I want to put online, they are the first place that I go. They make it so simple. It looks so professional, so much better than I could ever do if I was trying to build it on my own. Honestly, I probably would just give up, which is not what you want. When you have a new idea, when you have a new project, you don't want things to get in your way. Squarespace lets you build that beautiful website that you've been dreaming of and put it out to the world to let your project sing. So go today and check out squarespace.com slash cortex. You can sign up for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash cortex and use the code cortex to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash cortex and the code cortex. When you decide to sign up, you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Real FM. In our State of the Apps episodes over the last couple of years, mm. a lot of time has been spent talking about Slack and like trying to make Slack better for uh, us. Yeah. Right? I saw an article on The Verge about a new feature in Slack called Catch Up. Even just mentioning Slack and talking about making it better. I mean, like PTSD, yeah. going back to that conversation about the Slack redesign and this whole palace of pain for these team communication apps that's just so horrible to deal with. And so when you say like, oh, they have a new feature, I just do not greet this with a positive emotional experience. Like, oh, I can't wait to see what they've unveiled. It's a physical tightening in my chest mm -hmm. of, oh no, how is this going to get worse for me? <laughs> I want you to bear with me for a minute okay. here, all right? Because like there right. is an initial reaction, which I think right. you had, and I think there is also a secondary reaction. Oh boy. <laughs> the best way to do this is just to read to you the beginning of this article from friend of the show, David Pierce. Okay. Who says, Slack is adding a new feature to its mobile app meant to help you triage all of your unread stuff a little faster. Mm. It's called catch-up. And the only way I can describe it is Tinder for enterprise messaging. Ah. Just please wait. <laughs> please. When you tap on catch-up at the top of the ah. app's home screen, it will show you one channel or DM at a time. Swipe left to mark it red, right to leave it unread. So I feel like maybe you're going on a similar journey to me right now <sighs> where my initial reaction was why are you doing this to me but then i started thinking about my slack style in and like typically you know i'm my own person slack and i have like two dms and three channels that have got unread messages in and the way mm. that i find that because i'm in some slacks with lots of channels is just it's like that little thing that's like there's unread messages down there and you have yeah. to scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, there it is. And you hit it. Now, what this would do is would allow me to, every time I open Slack, just very quickly see everything that has got unread content within it. And then I can either read it and be like, okay, whatever. Or I can keep it unread to deal with later on. 
I actually think the idea behind this feature, which I have not used yet because as Slack do do these things, which is weird, it is rolling out to free Slacks first. Oh, great. Paid oh. Slacks later. Right. I can see myself using this feature. And what they've said is, this is going to be on the phone. This is a phone feature. Right, yeah. I think. Because they've said, like, what they have noticed is that people use the Slack phone app as, like, a triage. Mm-hmm. You know, they wake up in the morning or it's later in the day and they just want to very quickly see what's going on and they deal with it later on. Again, what I want, which they don't seem to have done and I don't think they'll ever do I want this feature but for every Slack like collapse all the Slacks mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and give me this for one view every Slack that I'm in so I haven't got to keep like swipe tap swipe tap so this is a thing where like at first I'm like oh god why and then the more I think about it I'm like this might make my life a little easier I'm deeply unconvinced by this. I don't like this. Okay. I have a specific dislike and a broad dislike. My broad dislike is we've discussed the TikTokification of everything on the show before, that this is like a kind of natural attractor for a lot of apps to go in the direction of be more like TikTok. And I think that there are several natural attractors like that for user interfaces, which are mostly bad. And I don't think we've ever discussed it, but I have in my head the same idea of like the Tinderification of things. So it's really horrifying. Because like I don't use any app that is Tinder-like, but I can still see this is a user behavior or user experience that spreads it's like an ice nine. Like once it's introduced, you cannot get rid of it and it just continues to spread. So it's, I have a real visceral reaction to, oh, what if we put some Tinder in our Slack? It's like, oh, it's like the reason that this user interaction spreads is not because it's great. It's because it's like hooking into something in people's brains, mm. which is, is not quite the same. So I just like, on a very broad level, I don't like it in the same way that if slack was introducing some feature that they had borrowed from tiktok be like on average i think that's gonna be bad it's not gonna be good even if on slack's end they're like oh look at whatever metric we care about it's gone up like yeah you can get the metric to go up and things to still be bad i think my thing on it is like i can see it being interesting and i can see myself using it but what it highlights to me is a continued proof that there's problems that they are unable to fix that like this is just another user interface Mm -hmm. to try and deal with the problem that is the ever-growing slack yeah which is like a systemic fundamental issue that they can't deal with probably right like that it's like it's too late now but is so funny to consider when you think about it was created as the idea of like, we're going to replace email because email is too unmanageable and they've just created a second unmanageable system. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. But that's again, that's why all of the like corporate communication apps, like they, they all exist in this palace of pain where they just recreate the very problems that they're trying to solve because multiple people working together and trying to communicate, there are just some unsolvable problems here that you cannot ever really properly deal with them you can only 
seem to have pseudo solved them by moving to a new thing that is smaller. And so while it is smaller, you feel like, oh, what a relief. Like, this is great. But it will just grow and then it reintroduces those problems. Yep. My second issue with this, again, it depends on like some of the exact details. But I also, I feel like for me personally, this actually encourages the worst behavior for me admin-wise. I just think that it's a very bad pattern. I do this with email. I do this with lots of things with notifications. I do this with iMessage too much where you like see some things, don't respond to a bunch of things and ah. mark things unread. Okay. Like I think that's just a bad user pattern. I think it's bad for your brain because it's like, oh, now I've just made myself aware of a bunch of stuff that I'm not actually dealing with. And I provided this kind of pseudo relief of having gotten rid of some things that I'm not going to respond to. But I think this is encouraging a bad user behavior. It feels like progress, but isn't really. I agree with you, but the problem is people are doing this. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, right? I get it. So yeah. it's like if people are doing it and now the genie is 100% out of the bottle on this, how can we at least make it easier for people to do the thing they're already doing? <laughs> no, I disagree. Slack should be having their whole design be around like... When you open up Slack, it shouldn't let you see anything. And there should be a message on screen and it should say, do you have 20 minutes to actually deal with Slack and try yeah. to respond to some of these messages? And if you say no, then it just quits the app and says, come back later when you do. Like, that's what the user interface should be. Yeah. Like this kind of like, oh, I'm going to quick check. This is exactly what I mean by TikTokification or in this case, Tinderification. I guarantee their like interaction metrics will go up. But I don't think that's the same thing as making Slack actually better. Like, I think this will increase engagement with Slack. But that is not the same thing as people getting useful work done in Slack or people feeling better about having used the app or actually, like, getting things out of their side of the court and turning projects around. So that's yeah. my specific complaint here that comes down from the broader thing of, like, why do certain user interface elements get adopted and spread is because they seem to be doing good things, but they are actually doing bad things. And so I, I have not gone on the journey with you. I don't like this at all. I hate it. Yeah. There was something that's like, so funny to me. Like, Tinder is just triage for humans, which is like such a weird, and when you think about it that way, such a strange thought, right? Yeah, you're just not, triaging people don't use tinder well i'm not gonna say that you know <laughs> pro tip get married 10 years ago the best time to <laughs> plan to marriage is 10 years ago the second best time is now <laughs> you know what time it is mike it's time to review your time it's the january mike time tracking review indeed so i was thinking about this on, unconnected a few times a year we do roasts we like roast each other Mm -hmm. like maybe it would be like a home screen or desktop background or whatever we do like little roasts of each other and i feel like this is like roast mike's time and that's what you get to do we're, we're giving you the ability to roast me i think that's too harsh <laughs> it gives you the opportunity to do it if you mm, want to yeah you know like as a roast can also be helpful yeah, but that's no fun. That's No one shows up to a roast because they're like, oh, I can't wait to see this person complimented, right? That's not True. what a roast True. is for. No. 
So I've created a graphic which is uh, from Timery showing mm-hmm. my year over year time tracking from 23 to 22. I guess I could maybe start with some top line stuff and then maybe you could pick into some things that you'd be interested in hearing me explain. Well, I'll say straight away, right? So we've done this multiple years. Yep. This is also why like, I refuse to think of this as a roast because some years you show me your numbers and it's a real example of the inside versus outside experience where for you, it seems like there is something that is so obviously different from the two years that to me from the outside, it's a bit like, what's the major difference here between these two things? Like it's not always obvious, like what has caught your attention. But this has to be one of the most obvious differences I've ever seen between two different years from 2022 to 2023. Okay. The two massive changes are weekend and podcast editing. Like that's just big, obvious changes in, in what your year was like. I have some huge changes to introduce you to later on in the discussion, but I will agree with you. So if you guess top line stuff, mm-hmm. there is a pretty large increase in hours tracked year over year oh oh wow i didn't even notice that yeah yeah but the biggest contributor to that is weekend so Mm. something i've started doing starting last year and i have something in it for my 24 tracking as well is bringing something related to my yearly theme into my time tracking to be able to give me more data that i am achieving or not my theme and i brought weekend in now what i didn't do here was just track my weekends, right? Like, here, Saturday morning, start that tracker. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, uh, that's not what it was. That's the rare case where you could pre-fill out the time tracker for the year yeah. at the start of the year. You could just put in all the weekend entries. Look ahead at of time. this increase. <laughs> I was tracking things that I was purposely doing with the mindset of the year of the weekend. Okay, it was the spirit of the weekend you were tracking. Yeah, exactly. So, let's say it was spending time with friends that I had purposefully made a point of doing, which came from the idea of you should be doing this, right? That like Mm. there was something in my theme, which I was then bringing into the world. And so like this Mm. could also be like if I worked on Saturday and I took time off on Tuesday, I would track that time because that was a purposeful change that I was looking to make because of the year of the weekend where previously I would have worked the Saturday and then just not taken any time off for it. So like I wasn't crediting myself for what I had done. And Mm -hmm. this is also like, oh, you know, like I'm going to spend some time at home today rather than going to the studio. I can track that as the year of the weekend. That's a thing that I really wanted to do. And so like this is things that I was making a conscious decision that I would not have done otherwise, they got tracked as weekend time. And so Mm. there's about 300 hours there, which kind of equates for the bulk of the increase year over year. So I feel pretty good about that. And you'll see at the bottom, air traffic control. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Project air traffic control. So that was when I started this project. And like, so now for 2024, my year of people kind of thing that I'm tracking is these air traffic control meetings where me, me and my assistant are like getting my week in order each week. So that will be a thing that will continue to tick up in my 2024 and we'll add in here. But I'm continuing to track activities that were from like the year of the weekend because I'm trying to keep that mentality going. 
And so I continue to track things like that. Although I, I expect the hours to drop as these things just become more integrated into my life. Mm-hmm. But when I am doing something very specific for that reason, it's going to go into the weekend timer. Okay, so, so you're keeping the weekend timer going forward. Because yeah. I was going to ask, like, oh, you're going to have a like a year of people timer? But it feels like there's actually quite a lot of overlap between that and the weekend. Like, it's there's some similar ideas there. And also, it's stitched into so much other stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it'd be too hard to track that. Because, yeah. you know, should I be running a Cortex brand admin timer or should I be running a people timer? Like, it's yeah, yeah. too complicated. It to gets that. into the, the classic question that people like, do you run multiple timers? Like, how do you deal it with uh, when you're running two things at one time? And the answer is don't. Don't just ever choose. do that. Yeah, just choose. Okay, that, that makes sense. This data is one of the reasons that I track my time. Because mm-hmm. what I like about time tracking is accountability and information. So like when I am working, by turning on a timer, I am indicating to myself that I am working. And if the timer is running, I should be doing what I say I'm supposed to be doing. And if I notice that I've stopped, then I'll turn off my timer. You know, like it's very normal. You're working on something and you get distracted. And then there will come a point where I realize that and I'm like, right, timer goes off. And I'm kind of indicating to myself that it's okay to do this other thing that I now want to do instead. Or I will take that as a moment to be like, whoa, hang on a minute, you're supposed to be working, go back to the thing you're supposed to be doing. So that like accountability is very helpful for me. But I also love the information. I love looking at this year over year stuff and seeing like, mm-hmm. did I get out of the year what I set? Like it's these things are very linked for me with themes. Like can I look at my year's data and be like, mm. oh, I can see these changes that I have actually made. I can see that these were changes that happened in my life that either I made or things happened to me. And it gives me an idea of being able to look at a very top level to be like, did I have the year that I wanted and why could that be? So it's like good information to have to like reinforce if the changes that I'm making are reflected in the hours that I'm spending. And I like mm. that kind of stuff. So this has become, these like year-over-year comparisons has become one of the main reasons that I continue to do time tracking. It totally makes sense as a tool of intentionality in mm-hmm. that way. And especially because you are more diligent and less sloppy about the time tracking than I am with this kind of stuff. So like you have meaningful year-over-year data to compare. And like, there's a way in which if I could magic it into existence, I would love to also be able to do like the year over year comparisons. I'm just like, I'm not quite as diligent with it as you are, but I I use it in the same way as like this intentionality tool. Mm. So yeah, it's really useful in that way to like, like you said, notice when you have diverted from what your intention was. Mm -hmm. That's like the great, oh, it sounds so dumb, but that ability to go, oh, I have to stop this reading timer because I'm actually just checking my email on my phone. I'm busy tindering on Slack right now. I'm not actually reading this book, right? Like, I have to stop this reading timer. And that, like, it's surprisingly useful in the little day-to-day moments of life of noticing what it is that you're actually doing. Yeah. All right. So what's gone on with all that podcast editing time, Mike? Where has it disappeared to? Well, this is one of the things where like this year, there's a good decrease, right? From 219 mm-hmm. hours to 143 hours. So mm-hmm. that's dropping upgrade, I think was, this is where I saw a full year of that because it mm-hmm. was something I stopped like halfway right. through 2022. Right, right, right. I'm really keen to see what 2024 looks like. <laughs> 
because the majority of what's left here is Cortex. So I expect I'll probably lose over 100 hours year over year. Okay, so you think the majority of this is purely Cortex editing. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, I only edit Cortex and the Pen Addict, and the Pen Addict takes 10 minutes once right. a week. So the majority mm. of that is Cortex, but I don't expect it to disappear, right? Because I still call editing what I'm doing with like the assembly of the show and the posting of the show and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, that makes sense. It's still going to be in there, but it's going to be a, a big chunk taken out mm. of it for sure. And, you know, there is also a, a decrease in it year over year because there's also just like a decrease year over year and obviously the amount of episodes I produced from 2022 to 2023. Mm-hmm. Exactly sure why that is. That You can see my podcast recording hours are down. I guess I did make some changes. So I took some shows that changed their scheduling rather than like weekly or whatever, went to monthly, like stuff like that, which I'm always kind of tweaking those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so that's why like podcast recording and show prep both went down. Mm-hmm. Because they will go down or up together. Where mm. now podcast editing over the last two years has been divorced from that because I've made much larger changes to what I'm editing. So that's kind of become uncoupled from the recording and prep numbers where previously the three of those went completely hand in hand. But mm-hmm. that day it was going to be weird over the last two years. And so really it will be from 2024 onwards that those will be locked together again because i'm not expecting to make any changes to editing or whatever that makes sense yeah i think the biggest change is cortex brand yeah yeah i'm I'm just looking through the rest of this and i'm just noticing more and more like oh there's actually quite a number of changes here that didn't jump out to me as obviously as those first two so tell me about what's going on with cortex brand in 2021 everything to cortex brand was all just in one timer and then Mm. at the end of 2022 I kind of split it out and created Cortex brand product design as well as Cortex brand admin. And I mm. tracked about 105 hours of time, 105 hours of work in 2022. Then in 2023, I also introduced Cortex brand marketing. And now between admin, design, and marketing, I tracked about 300 hours mm. of work in 2023 compared to the 100 in 2022 big difference yeah as no surprise but that is a huge difference yeah that's a lot of hours to add so that is i think the biggest meaningful change that i see in my just like pure work hours this year Hmm. it's why even though some stuff has reduced in like the podcasting stuff my overall hours have stayed relatively the same of work right because if you take the weekend hours out of that the work hours have remained the same if not increased because i have added about 200 hours of work this year on top of the things that I was doing before. But this is all by design. It's not an accident. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy about it. I don't look at that and I'm like, oh, it's too much. I'm, this is exactly what I wanted. And I feel like the results of it have borne out and I'm happy with the effort. I was kind of wondering for myself, I was thinking, oh, should I break out Cortex brand versus Cortex podcast stuff? Oh, 100% you should, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced for me I know it why matters as much. Yeah. So I know people do this differently. So like my co-founder Relay, Stephen, he tracks very differently to me and he finds my way of tracking to be very strange. So like- What does he do? So I track podcast recording and then what you don't see in this number is I have a tag for each show. Mm-hmm. So I can also see how much time I spent per show by doing a different report where Stephen will track for Mac Power users. He just tracks everything. 
So if mm-hmm. he's prepping, if he's recording, if he's editing, it's all just Mac Power users. That yeah. to me seems wrong. Like I track by task and then have a tag if there is a property related to that task. And he finds mine to be strange. It's like it's just like a very personal thing where like I want to know more about how much I'm recording is like the top line than how much I'm spending per show. Like I for me, I don't really feel like I I need that as the most important. Uh, statistic i like to know more about like the type of work that i'm doing not what it's for yeah maybe i feel like this is a byproduct of the number of shows that you do yeah probably even just for me thinking like i just have a timer called cortex am i doing anything cortex related that goes from we're talking right now to i'm updating spreadsheets for the business it's all just the cortex timer to me that just doesn't make any sense right like for me Prepping for an episode of Cortex could not be more different to working on the email newsletter, right? Like those things, like I just couldn't imagine tracking them as the same work. But this is why, like, I thought about it for a moment and then I talked myself out of it because the information to me is really much more like how much of my life does Cortex take up? Yep. It's all one connected blob for me, whereas you have shared tasks that are similar across multiple things but even for you though like the idea that you track everything related to the podcast have been one thing while it's not my style i understand why somebody does it but Mm -hmm. then to be like when i'm working on my spreadsheets it's (laughs) It's effectively the same (laughs) bucket as when i'm sitting here recording with you like that to me just feels wrong i find that to be really odd I can understand why. I think it's partly because the real division in my life for work is what I think of as the core work, mm-hmm. which is usually like heavy like research and writing work. And then I have a, like two layers of lighter work, which is on top of that. So it's like mm-hmm. video editing, podcast preparation, podcast recording, like working on spreadsheets. It's all like medium level work. And then the light level work is tindering on Slack, I guess. Like, oh, <laughs> like that's that's my light level work. And so, like, I'm doing a level of categorization that's, like, meta on that level of, like, I care about the relationship of these three things. And for me, something like writing and research is just so fundamentally different from everything else that I do work-wise. I really care about the ratio of this to everything else. So I think it's a lot easier for me to compress the everything else into much broader buckets of like, I just want a cortex bucket. I just want a video editing bucket. And I don't really uh, need things that are much granular than that. But I could see, depending on how this year goes at the end of it, maybe deciding like, oh, I do need to break out cortex brand from the cortex podcast. But I I think for the moment, I'm still okay not doing that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how other people do it. And there is a funny thing where to me, like I find looking at your system, it's almost absurdly broken down and also absurdly broad, like podcast mm. recording with 400 hours is almost yeah. is like a hilarious number. But again, that's just a function <laughs> of this report. Yeah, yeah, you of know, course, of course. Like I can make a report that tells me the stuff that I would need to know there. And like I make mm. those reports for when they're important to me. Mm. But the majority of time I don't need that information but like i can give it to you right here here we go all right so just for the sake of comparing now i've pulled the 2022 and 2023 podcast recording numbers based on Ah. show see we can also see upgrade very consistent 
uh, like 119 hours. I feel like this is almost an indecent level of information about how Mike spends his time. I mean, but this part is very findable, right? Because, like, you can see the runtime of shows. Oh, I know, I know. But there's just something funny about it. It's like, oh, we've almost drilled down to a level where I'm slightly uncomfortable. Like, Pulling oh, back how much, how much time? <laughs> yeah. Look at all that upgrade time. Yeah. Connected was uh, went from 110 to 90 hours. I think I took more episodes off this year. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't change the number of episodes, but you, you just were on fewer episodes. Yes. The Pen Addict, similar... Cortex was more, which I expected because we did more episodes. Not by a lot more, which is interesting. But Yeah, it's actually funny that Cortex number is bigger, but it's not as much bigger as I would have expected. Cortex has a weird outlying, though, is I am tracking from the moment we start talking. Okay, that makes sense. Right, so like that one is wobbly of like maybe in 2022 we were just way more chatty. Yeah. Even though we recorded more episodes in 2023. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i should even say this right because i don't want to make you self-conscious uh-huh. one of the things that i track i have a timer <laughs> which is called social colon audio visual right so like, okay. am i talking to someone basically like on a phone call or on a video chat and the reason i, I keep track of a couple of little social timers because i'm just like really bad at it and i feel like I shouldn't let this number get under like 1% of my total time. So I just yep. want to keep an eye on like, have I just spoken socially to someone? And when we start our calls for Cortex, sometimes I'm like, ooh, if we're actually just chatting, I can flip on that no, social that timer. Is, <laughs> it is the main way we maintain our friendship. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I'm also, I'm totally juicing those social AV numbers. <laughs> like, yeah, that's 100% No, you're I'm not doing. juicing. It's accurate. Like, it's accurate. <laughs> most of the conversation, like, me and Gray will talk for multiple hours outside of the recording. The vast majority, we're just, like, shooting the breeze. Like, we're not, you know, we're just, like, hanging out. So I think that it's, it's perfectly acceptable. I still acknowledge, like, I'm kind of juicing these numbers, mainly mm. because what I really want to do is encourage me to have more of this time, which means, like, oh, I should try to call and talk to someone, right? And I'm cheating it because it's like, ah, oh, we were going to do the yeah. call recording anyway. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Don't use me to make your chart go up, right? But that's exactly what I'm using you for. It's yeah, like, oh, look, I've got these great AV numbers now. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the information I can draw if I want to. But yeah, for yeah. me, this granularity is good to have. But I only really use it at one time, which is we generate like a spreadsheet every year, which looks at the hours I spent per show, the revenue I made mm-hmm. per show, working out my hourly rate that I make from each, you know? Just it's like a good piece of information to look mm-hmm. at. It's one of those charts though where it can sometimes help inform stuff, but you also have to like take things with a real grain of salt too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it would say otherwise, like, oh, all I should record is on Genius because the show is like ten minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have like an ad on each episode and Stephen does all the prep work. But it's like, well, it doesn't work like that. Like, like in theory, yes, if we just did Ungenius, we'd be raking it in. And also if the episodes were two hours long rather than 10 minutes long. But I know that realistically that's not how that works, right? So that's with a lot yeah. of this stuff. You still have to apply. It's the same with the time tracking, just the raw time tracking. You still have to apply what you know about your work to overlap. Yeah. This is just a data point. It's not a Bible. I'm always trying to convey this idea, which I think is really hard for people 
especially if you're listening to us and you are not inclined this way, right? Where you're, you're not like, I'm going to time track all the time, right? It just seems like a very strange behavior. And it's very easy to over assume the importance put on these things. And I think that the kind of people who are naturally inclined to be tracking all of this kind of stuff or making spreadsheets, if you're inclined that way, your tendency will be to put too much emphasis on this data. So like, I'm always trying to express this idea that you have to both take the data seriously and not seriously at all. And the closest I've ever come or the, the way it sort of feels in my head is it's a bit like you're the king and you have this advisor and the advisor is really smart, but he's literally never left the library. And so like you as the king have actually traveled around your kingdom and like, you know, a bunch of things out in the world that are difficult to quantify. And so like, it's important to listen to your advisor who is the spreadsheet in this metaphor or the time tracking in this metaphor or the like your hourly rate in this metaphor. But it's also extremely important to always remember that guy never leaves the library. He doesn't know anything about the actual real world. And so you can totally blow off his very strong advice all the time because there's a huge amount of context that's just missing. But I think it's really hard to have the balance between those two things, to both be the person who's pedantic enough to keep all of these records like the librarian advisor, but is also uh, like out in the world in the way that like the person running the empire has to be. Well, yeah, that's my time tracking over the year. I feel like everything else is within kind of the margins that I would expect, like without too much change mm. to them. There's maybe some things that are a few hours here or there. I guess what actually one that I did want to point out was how sponsors dropped from 32 hours to six. Yeah, th that was the other big one that I noticed there. Yeah, which is just confirming the thing that we've been working on for years for mm -hmm. me to reduce that from my plight. I think the other thing that's just funny from a data perspective is year over year, how many things that you track are within plus or minus five hours Incredible, each right? year, right? Yeah. It's like you've tracked 1,500 or 1,800 hours, but you still have five, six, seven things that are like within five hours. The one that particularly catches my attention here is you've got Mega Studio and it's like five hours, 50 minutes one year. I don't even understand. Five hours, yeah. 21 minutes the next year. Like, how is it so close? Workflows, one hour, 41 minutes, one hour, 12 minutes. Yeah. But the other one that really catches my attention is like Podcastathon is within. Yeah, that's weird. One hour <laughs> like both years it's 69 and 68 hours the thing that's strange to me is the event itself increased by 50 percent in runtime like looking at this it feels to me like there's some kind of mathematical or universal law in in action here that i don't know about like how is it that you can track whatever it is 20 different categories and a surprising number of them are within just a few percent of where they were last year, even though the number of hours being tracked is huge. It just, it feels like there's some phenomenon I don't know about that has a name that explains this. Mm -hmm. If anyone knows what that is, please tell us in feedback. Creature of habit syndrome or something like that. I don't know. I was hoping for something more exotic, but you're probably right. 
This episode is supported in part by listeners like you who subscribe to Mortex. If you sign up today at getmortex.com, you'll get yourself longer ad-free episodes of each and every episode of Cortex. You get ad-free listening to the entire back catalog of content. All of our RPG and text adventure specials, they're available to you in their very own Mortex specials feed for easy listening. This alone, just these specials, is over 25 hours of bonus content that we have published so far, with more to come, as well as access to our members' discord, exclusive wallpapers, behind-the-scenes content, and so much more. People who subscribe to Mortex, the Mortexans, they get additional content with every single episode. On today's show, me and Gray are going to be talking about our plans to try and grab a Vision Pro headset when it goes on sale and to give our reactions to exactly the way that Apple decided to announce this to the world. But previous Mortex segments, they've been super different. We have covered the Cortex brand yearly themes in Mortex. We've spoken about some behind-the-scenes conversation about both the show and Cortex brand. We talk about media and games that we've been enjoying, and so much more. All of these segments are available to you if you sign up now. You can very easily go back to any episode and listen to the bonus segment that we've been doing since June 2020, featuring over 13 hours of content on top of the 25 hours of standalone bonus material. Go and check this out for yourself today and get longer ad-free episodes at getmortex.com. If you enjoy this show and you think to yourself, I would love some more of it, there is. It's at getmortex.com. All right, before we wrap up today, I have a little bit of Cortex brand follow-up. We need to revisit a bet that we made. Mm -hmm. So in episode 145 in August of last year, we spoke about the fact that we had just decided to make a really big bet with ordering Sidekick Notepad stock. Yeah. To the point where we would have more stock than we've ever had in any product ever before, far past what we were comfortable ordering, way more investment than we were comfortable making. But we were doing that because you were working on a video that you were going to put up for the end of the year, and we wanted to be prepared for the like worst case scenario that we would go out of stock after the promo video went up, which had happened both times you'd done this with the journal. Well, the video went up. <sighs> Before you say another word, can I just say, yeah. like, even just hearing you describe this situation... Again, I have a physical tightening in my chest. Why thinking now, about this. Why well, now? Okay, so obviously we're on the other side of this bet, and we know how it went. Sometimes we've talked about how there are kind of stresses in self-employment that are just fundamentally different from being employed. And I think this bet and working on the promotion of this product are one of the times that I have felt that most keenly in a different way when you're just on your own and you are like making important financial decisions about things and the pressure is on and there's like there's nobody else here like it's just you being self-employed doing a thing i just really felt it from the moment we put in that order until the time that i was finally able to press publish on that video that was just a like grinding stress of self-employment time from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Oof. This is a unique kind of unpleasantness that is just 
different from the numerous kinds of unpleasantness I also experienced being employed. Yep. Like they're just different. Like they're different kinds of things. What made it different? I guess the difference that I'm trying to express is the lack of structure around you. I think that's really what it is. Like the maximum stress of being employed is the stress of being ejected mm -hmm. from that structure. That's when I had my worst time as a teacher, right? The underlying stress there was they're going to fire me. It's the stress of expulsion. But you have to go to like really the next level of, oh, if I make a bad decision or if I do a bad job, it's like catastrophic for the organization in which I exist. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Th that's just like a very different kind of thing. And so that's the flip side of the like the self-employment stress is you can make decisions or you can do things that are just very bad for the organization in which you exist because the organization is basically just you. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like I just really felt it like I like I swear from the moment that you said like, OK, we place the order. It's like, ah, here here comes the stress. <laughs> Look, I'm, this isn't going to change anything but i felt exactly the same mm -hmm. i remember the exact moment when we were sitting around your kitchen table and we made the decision yep. my life changed at that moment and it yeah, remained yeah. that way until early december so yeah. for like august to december i had a low level anxiety the entire time yeah, a day yeah. did not go by where i was freaking out about the decision that we had made I'll also say, between us, I also acknowledge that you, in many ways, were in the worst position, because at least I knew on a day-to-day -day basis, like, what am I up to? <laughs> but you were basically existing in the dark of like, I wonder what Gray's done today, right? Where at least Gray knows what he's done today, right? Where you were much more in the dark. Well, okay, so yes, I was, but this was on your shoulders. That's what you had that was different to me. Mm -hmm. The result of this was the quality of the product you produced, mm -hmm. right? If you did a bad job making this video, that is on you. Mm -hmm. It's not on me, right? Because like that is your contribution there. It was like you had to make a good product. But if you messed it up <laughs> or if like you didn't put the effort in and it resulted in poor sales, that is a thing where we'd have to look at forever and be like, Oh yeah, because that was because the the video wasn't good enough. Yeah, right. And, uh, and so yeah. like that is what you had that was different to me. Where like I tried to be as helpful as possible during the process, mm -hmm. but I don't have what you have. Like I don't have the skills that you have. I don't have the ability to write something the way that you do. And so ultimately, the quality of the end product was on you and so like that puts the stress on you which i'm sure you felt but i'm saying like you say it's bad for me because i didn't have control well i acknowledge it's bad for you because it was on your shoulders right because i did have control yeah it's, yeah. it's the two sides of the same coin but it's just a thing that i was really aware of like ah this is like the real stress of self-employment there's like this low level thing that I mean, ultimately, is there all the time when you're self-employed? It's always in the background, like, a little. But this is one of the times where it really felt like it just got ramped up. Well, the, the difference is, is because it's a thing that we don't deal in, in that there was a large capital expenditure to yes. make this bet, where usually the types of things that we do don't have that. Like, 
you can either succeed or fail and that will make an impact on the other end. Yeah. But it's not that failure would not then end up in, well, we have too much stock and we're going to pay the price for that and we've got to by any means necessary sell it. And like that yeah. kind of desperation I'm sure sucks and actually we have been in a a version of that in the past but not to the level that this would have been financially and also like what does that say about the product right like that we would produce a video that hundreds of thousands of people would see and they didn't want it there was also like one of the things that i think i was having a hard time expressing when i was talking to you sometimes is like the sidekick's an interesting product I found it a tricky video because in my discussions with people in person, it really did have like quite a bifurcated response where some people just go like, I don't know why I would ever use that. And yep. some people go, oh my God, I want that right now. Like I know exactly where that fits in my life. So those people in, in some sense are, are like, they're preset. But I was thinking of someone like my dad, I was actually thinking a bunch about with this where when I first showed him the sidekick notepad, he was skeptical of it, which I found very surprising because like when I think of uh, my dad, when I was a kid and going to his office, he was one of those guys who had one of those giant calendars on his desk mm -hmm. and like was working on top of the paper calendar. And so I was like, dad, it's, it's like that, but smaller. Like I know this is a thing that you would like. And he eventually turned around on it and decided like, oh, no, I do really do like it. It's useful. It's like, yes, obviously that's for you. And so I was just thinking a lot about like the marginal person. Like, how do you try to demonstrate quickly to the marginal person that there's something that's interesting here to them where they don't know that they would like it? But yeah, so it's just like it had this property of people respond immediately that they know that they want it immediately that they don't. And then there's a group of people who don't know that they do really want this thing. Mm hmm. And it just made the messaging much trickier as opposed to the the theme system journal where it's more like, I can tell you a story about what this thing is for. Like, that's just obviously how you go about it. I agree with you, but I still, my kind of thinking of why I, I believe this product would be successful and I thought the video could be and would be successful is while you have the hurdle of like, this product is made in a particular way and it has a particular use idea and it's a premium price product. And so like you've got those three things, mm. but I believe it is easier to see yourself as a user of this product in the journal because for the theme system journal, if you don't know about yearly themes, like you haven't really had that much exposure to it, in the course of a 10-minute video, you have to accept a life change then go to checkout, right? Like that is quite a jump, I think. No, I completely agree. We've talked about this before with this as a product is it's more like a look at it and understand it product. Yep. Perversely, that narrative of I need to convince you of a life change in 10 minutes provides more structure for what is the story of this video going to be. Hmm. Whereas the sidekick, which is a much more direct product, has less of a predestined structure for what should a promotional video for this look like, mm. which is why it's harder. So there's like, there's this weird inverse, right? Like Sidekick in many ways is an easier sell, but a harder video. And the theme system journal is kind of a harder sell, but an easier video in terms of the production. Makes because sense. there's a, there's like a necessary story here. Mm-hmm. 
But that also just didn't help at all with the like, what am I going to do? And I definitely had many days where I was just like sitting in a room and thinking and going like, am I going to do this? And you do this like horrible writer thing where you like write out a bunch of stuff and then you go, it's all terrible. And you digitally scrunch it up and throw it away. Throw your typewriter yeah, yeah, at the wall. <laughs> I'm useless. I can't do this. When you have done that for a long period of time, you are left in the position where even when you go to press the publish button, it's like, I don't understand this anymore. Like, I don't even know how to perceive this thing that I have made. I'm just going to ship it out there and see how it does. And I think, come to the end of it, I, I was in somewhat of a similar boat to you in that I really liked the video. I thought it was very good. I was very happy with how it told the story of the product. But I still wasn't sure. Yeah. Where with the journal videos, for all of the reasons that you mentioned, you see, as I'm saying that, I feel like I don't agree with myself. I was going to say I felt more sure. But the thing is, it also didn't matter the same. So I think I don't know if I can say that to be true. Like where we were when we had the journals to sell, it just wasn't the same. The price for having the stock wasn't the same. There wasn't so much feeling like it was on the line. And so I don't think I was really thinking in that mindset of like, oh, this is going to do the job, you know, because it, it wasn't so important. Yeah. We weren't dealing with the problem of the physical volume and costs of thousands of them, right? Like yeah. that wasn't the issue. Like we said, this is a very large bet that was really pushing the edges of our comfort when we made it yeah i think both of us had a little bit of a like well we're gonna sled down this hill together kind of feeling when we made the final decision the psychic notepad costs to us over twice the cost price of the journal yeah to produce so we would have had to have ordered like three times more journals than we've ever ordered to be close to what this came to. And like, mm -hmm. then I would be worried the same yeah. way. Yeah, right? yeah. It's exactly. a very different experience. And plus, we just, it's from different worlds, right? When we made the journal promo videos, it was like a time when we couldn't keep the theme system journal in stock at all. And it was like a very different time for us because we were really struggling with catching that eel back then. Like, mm. we just could not work out how to manufacture it at the scale that we needed to and it was mm. it all felt very weird and very different but all of this is to say the bet really really paid off so we had an amount that we were supposed to keep in stock for like a long period of time and then we ordered the extra for the bump for the video we sold through all of the extra we kept selling through and as we here right now we're going to go out of stock within the next six weeks most likely of the sidekick notepad which again we're back to that process again we're getting more made but there's been some delays so like we're going to have an out of stock period that is just i think what it's like to do this and i'm coming to terms with this more that <laughs> there is no such thing as perfection with stock management and what i've been doing over the last few months is i've been paying attention to brands that i follow more and how they deal with this kind of stuff and i'm just mm -hmm. learning more and more that like companies going out of stock on an item is actually very normal mm -hmm. and i need to kind of just get over myself a little bit with this and like 
do the best we can, but understand that things happen that you can't prepare for. And I feel happy with what we did because I believe we did the absolute maximum we could do. We did it, right? We couldn't have bought any more. No, no. In the way that we want to structure our company. Obviously, we could have borrowed money to do it, but I'm not doing that. Oh, right? my God. No, like, no, you know what no. I mean? Like, that is the other way we could have done this. We could have got a credit line and done it that way, but I'm not comfortable doing I'm not going to do that, no. I, I'm not going to do that because I want to be able to sleep at night, and it was yeah. already hard enough. Exactly. If it was like, Mr. Bankman is going to be you know, tapping his watch on January 1st, I'd be like, no, I'm not It was doing bad this. enough to be responsible to each other, right? That yes, it's mine exactly. and your money ultimately rather than it also being somebody else's money like i'm not willing to play in that space right now that is not a thing that i want to do yeah but you know similarly the thing that we're going to do that we've not done before is we're going to take pre-orders when we go out of stock and like that's not a thing that i've wanted to do before but again it's like grow up (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's part of logistics it's part of stock management we can make it work and so we're going to do that. But like that is the result of all of this thing. I don't know how you feel, but to me, these past six weeks feels like the biggest success that we've seen as a company. I mean, as the one running the spreadsheets, it's crazy. Like Sidekick has more than doubled the business in its existence this year. Like it's been really quite shocking. And you said a thing about accepting that we're going to run out of stock there's definitely this part of me which is like no like i will not accept this like with god as my witness i will never run out of stock again but yeah like this is um (laughs) i've got some bad news for you bud it's going to happen like okay so one of the things that i told myself to try to keep myself sane during the production of the actual video was okay we have this huge number of stock but listen listen gray Really, we're only trying to sell half this number Mm -hmm. because we also want to have the stock for all of next year. So there's not so much pressure. And so when it went up and we sold through half the number, I'm like, oh, thank God, right? Like, what a relief. Thank goodness. But then the sales have not dropped as much as I was expecting. And there's this weird thing where like, I'm looking at all of my estimates for when are we going to run out of stock? And the date very quickly went from like, oh, we'll run out just before Christmas next year to, well, we'll run out before Halloween. We'll run out before school start. We're definitely going to run out before the 4th of <laughs> July, right? Like, and now it's like Valentine's Day. You're not going to make it to Valentine's Day, buddy. And it's yeah. like, oh, no. It's such a funny thing because updating the numbers i have this weird feeling like sales please slow down right but like obviously as a business person that's not really what i want at all but it's just funny how your brain can like play these tricks on you where it's like wild success has very rapidly turned into like no i'm not going to run out of inventory but we're totally going to run out of inventory and on top of that we've had to put in orders for all of the other products because like there's just been so many sales over the holidays and we did run out of pens and it's like okay all of this is just like a byproduct of it going extremely well but it's just very funny that now it's like kind of my responsibility to not run out of stock like please slow down sales <laughs> it's not gonna happen we're running out but like we're learning now again right like mm-hmm. i think one of the things that we're taking away from this is 
okay, so maybe this year we will focus more on more frequent smaller orders. It hasn't really worked out, but yeah. that is kind of what I built the spreadsheet to try to do is like be looking at more frequent smaller orders. But we might need to turn that up and say like, no, even more frequent smaller orders. Yeah, but there is a there are things to consider in all of that. It's like smaller means more expensive. Yes, So exactly. like you've got to find a, a balance. But this is just a thing that we will spend the rest of the year going through. Because one of the things about this video and that as an answer we are still waiting to find and i don't know when we're going to get it now is you know we were selling whatever you know a small handful of units of the journal every day when it was just people who listened to this podcast that knew about it and that would increase by orders of magnitude each time you'd release a video there would be like a noticeable change and you know like we're now like three or four times more than what that was so we got like a, a somewhat reliable daily sales rate which was increased by the video and the existence of the video keeps the sales coming in then there's also more products in the world so people see them and it's like it just mm. kind of perpetuates from there i want to know what that's going to be for the sidekick notepad yeah but we don't know because as you say the sales are i think still much higher than that number on a daily basis yeah. But we don't know what that number is going to be. And it's going to take longer to find that out because of the existence of us going out of stock. Like it's going to be way into the year, if uh, this year at all, before we actually get that number. Because we just there's too many variables at play to try and understand what that's going to be. So it's going to be a longer tail thing going into the future. So. Yeah, that's what kind of kills the data person in me. It's like, oh, I, I want continuous data, right? But it's like, oh, the moment we switch to pre-sales, like this is a functionally different kind of data set. And like the, the streak will be broken mm -hmm. of, of having all of these like days in a row where we can try to estimate what are we actually looking at here. So all of this to say, the bet paid off. Our instinct was right. And I feel very good about it. Like I feel very vindicated that, this is another product that is successful, that people are interested in, and we're getting very good feedback about. Like That was what the Sidekick Notepad was supposed to be. We have the Theme System Journal, we have the Sidekick Notepad, and then we have other products. Like That was what I wanted. What I also like about the Sidekick Notepad is it. I'm starting to think of it as like a platform now where we've done so much work in the construction of it that we can create other layouts. And it's also really easy from a manufacturing perspective to bundle those together. And so like, I feel like, great, we have proven the point and now we can further expand this. And the existence of the video and the result of the video, the response to the video, and what that has meant from sales has like borne that out to be like, great, we have another one of these, like it's another pillar of the company. We can continue from here. You have every right to feel vindicated. I feel mostly just relieved. <laughs> I don't think vindication and relief are that far away from each other on the emotional scale. 